Hello and welcome back to the DP World Tour Picks and Bets. Skylar Hoke here coming off a, I don't know the best word to describe the PGA Championship, but Tom, it was better on your end since you came out with a victor and Justin Thomas. How you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. I, you know what? I almost don't take any pride in Justin Thomas winning yesterday because although he did what you hope he would do when you bet on him, right? Mito was really, really good for a long time. And like, it was just the most bizarre choice, but not even the club, just like how he hit it. It was just like how he's like, literally just how he like followed through. I was just like, that's, that's bad. I was like, before you even see where the balls land, it was worse than I thought it was going to be. But, you know, I, I felt really sorry for him actually. And then obviously Zalasaurus, obviously you're on and someone that, you know, we've followed for a long time. Like you almost hope he's going to break through and then, you know, there was a couple of stories where, I'd, like, you'd actually just be really happy for them. Fitz, Cameron Young's been playing well. And then I just thought, well, it, it kind of just looked like Thomas for a little while where it was going to happen. And he stood up and was counted, and that was it, really. Yeah, it was um, a painful watch for, for those, anybody that kind of had uh, a bet around there or even somebody who could have made uh, a couple more putts near there. I mean, every single person probably could have won that by three, four strokes yeah. had they had they played the back or even made some putts. I mean, Zalatoris probably feels the worst as he missed so many shorties over the weekend. I mean, it's a game. You know what I mean? Like, he, I think, you I think, sign I up think, for that. Do you know what actually I think is worse is that, like, I think he finished the week like 10th in putting. And, yeah. like, and when you look at his major performances, that's when he putts the best. And what's really concerning for him is like he's not winning when he puts his best, and that's a little bit of a concern. Like everyone sort of says he just needs to have a good putting week, finish thirty from putting, then he'll win. Doesn't necessarily ring true when you look at the major championships. So I think I think there's been a very different like when he was second at the Masters, it was a real bonus and a really good performance. When he was second this time, it felt like he did throw it away a little bit. So slightly contrasting uh, events. Yeah, three out of his best four putting performances in his career are the two majors and then this past week. And, and he hit the ball well this past week, but definitely over the weekend gave some shots away. That 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 is the argument. It's like you wait for these weeks and if he, the fact that he couldn't capitalize on his best short game weeks That's the concern. Uh, is a like, sign that he shouldn't. Yeah, you, know? you almost need him to do what Spieth did and, and win – while losing strokes passing because he's going to have to hit it so well because it did it just deserted him on Sunday right and he's not the only yeah. one like you know he's, he's not the only one that just started hit the ball bad but um, it's what it is another Rory does a Rory thing um, yep. we'll, you know we'll skip past those otherwise we'll be into a, a 45 minute conversation about people that should have won the PGA Championship as opposed to the uh, Dutch Open yeah Agreed. And I'm excited for the U.S. Open. Um, you know, we have more of our guys there than the Open Championship, of course. And I love getting to see courses not familiar with um, and learning about them in the lead up. Did you like the course? Um, so I would say that I was on vacation over the beginning of the week. So I didn't get to pay a ton, a ton of attention yeah. to Thursday, Friday. But I, I think it's great. I, I enjoy the, the struggles more than a birdie fest. I enjoy a, a single digit under par and i never thought it was unfair you know what never. i mean like, like so it was unfair in the sense to half the field that got out of the wave right i think yeah. you know but it wasn't unfair like the greens got away or 
the yep. rough was too hard or anything like that. It was, it was, a, I thought it was a perfect setup and it actually just aided by the fact that, you know, the, the weather was so bad for some people, but I thought it was good. I thought it was a good test. I thought that when you look at the people that, although it, when you got to the final rounds, I sort of made a joke about who was there and, and, you know, what the final round leaderboard was. They're all ball strikers, right? Like JT, Zalatoris, Mito, Cameron Young, Fitz yep. to an extent, Tommy, Chris, Kurt, Rory, like, even Tom Hoagie and people like that, like, you know, it's, it, it is, it was what it was. So um, I think the right people performed and okay. Half the, half the tees were kind of cut out of it maybe, but Thomas defied that. So. Yep. Yep. I think, and I mean, pushback from players on bunkers and different, like <laughs> to, to get it a little bit more difficult than you get it every other week of the year. You know, it's just, classic i mean it's classic so it's like nothing can really push back on because they have it so good but yeah that's that's if i can have this week in and week out that to me is fun and that was a direction where you could like i love being able to look back on the week and see thoughts on which you could have came into the week and, and almost just nailed it you know yeah and i was i felt like i was very in line with the way it came out and of course you can be very in line and still lose but um you could find a way to make a reason on that versus people that were like, this is the most random leaderboard ever. I, I didn't think, I, I don't think anyone that finished aside, okay, maybe Brendan Steele, maybe Chris Kirk, right? But like the other guys were playing good golf and fit and fit the criteria. So I didn't think yep. it was that kind of surprising. I was surprised that Cyril played as well as he did. I thought he'd just get frustrated with it. Um, you know, but other than that, everyone else was kind of pretty obvious. I thought. Yep. So when you go from one side being very obvious, then we'll head over to the DP World Tour, where uh, last yeah. time we did see it, I, I kicked myself a little bit for not betting Sam Horsfield. Like that, that probably should have been one we, we yeah. know. Of course, he does that to us, but um, it is what it is. We move on to the Dutch Open, Tom. This swing, we're, we're hitting a swing here. Some good events on the horizon. Um, as we head back to the land where Christopher, Ber- Christopher Broberg, yep had the greatest putting week known to mankind, I think, last year. When he almost gave it away on Sunday, still uh, was a victor. Uh, so we head back to the Dutch Open. Bernadus, Bernadus Golf um, in the Netherlands. Um, and we only saw this one time last year being kind of its debut. Um, outside of Broberg putting the lights out of it, what was very intriguing to me was if we are going to go on a single line of thinking and the way to attack this course, you don't get many things lining up as well as it did as the strokes gained approach leaders last year, literally being like the top 10 of the event. Any thoughts on last year's event as we head into this one? I think you hit now on the head that it's really hard when someone has such an outlier performance like Broberg did that it kind of, it kind of morphs it a little bit. I think the Dutch Opens typically are you know, they do reward the sort of accuracy over distance and, and you know, the iron plays. So I, I wasn't entirely surprised by that. Um, I just remember Broberg just being lights out and, and not really, I I kind of forgot that Schmidt was second to him. You know, it's like, it, it was a really, it was a period of golf where it was really hard to get into, I think. Um, and I think, you know, it's coming at a time where it's off a major championship, it's a little bit easier. But um, yeah, I don't really remember the course too much. Um, I've kind of just gone down the lines of, if they've played well in Holland before, if they're hitting the ball well with their inform, I think eventually that will that will kind of pay out rather than trying to focus on what Broberg did or didn't do last year. Yep. 
Yep, and that's when kind of sneaking down that rest of the leaderboard. And there was a variety of golfers who were really good off the tee to those that are really short and accurate. Uh, when you see Schmid and then you see uh, like Dietrich and then all of a sudden Darius Van Driel is on the leaderboard. You know, like it was just a, a variety of off the tee skill sets that you just really had to hit those irons tight, make putts, which can uh, lead to some variance. And, and that kind of really can roll us into uh, the odds board. I think we're, uh, as an industry, attracted a little bit more to these favorites this week than maybe usual. We see Burned coming over after a strong week at 20 to 1. Peters, another made cut there. 22, Moronk, arguably should have been in the PGA Championship. If you remember our uh, show, I was like, okay, he'll be the first alternate. Well, actually, that's not how the alternate list worked for it. They had reset that the PGA Tour guys, so Moronk should have definitely been in there. Um, sad for him. So Maronk is 22, Fox 25, Jordan Smith 28, Rasmus Hoygaard 30 to 1. Um, who we like up top? So should we, should we go into your one first? Because obviously I think yours is kind of the, the shortest price, right? And I, yeah. I, I really wanted to bet him. So I'll, I'll obviously let you give your kind of thing on it and then I'll give you my kind of drawback as to why I didn't in the end. Um, yep. but yeah, you, you give us the reasons for Ryan Fox. Yeah, I mean, to me, Fox... It was a debate between Burned and Fox for me. Um, and it's because when you just zoom out, they are a clear, like, one, two, when you look at approach being the most important factor for those guys of the top-tier talents. I would say I give the nick to Burned when I would say who is a better iron player, but Burn just can't really putt. At, and it's been something where, okay, so if, if you have to question if a guy at 20 to one is going to have to find it on the greens for him to win, I, I don't think I could pull the trigger. So that's what led me to making the decision that Ryan Fox, who has been since his win in Rasalkaima, you know, unbelievable with the irons, gaining over a stroke there per round, you know, then he finishes 15th the next week, positive with the irons. And he's really good at the Catalonia, really good at the British Masters, really good at Sudal Open, uh, finishing ninth, eighth, second, continue to progress, probably should have won, gave it away on the back nine. Um, and then PGA Championship, he goes out with another really, really good iron week. I mean, overall, he was what, inside the top 10, I believe, uh, in irons um, there. So to do that with the best of the guys in the world, I think it's incredibly impressive. Now you got to come back. You got to leave on a Sunday. You got to arrive maybe on a Monday late or Tuesday morning. You factor that in. But I just don't want to go away from what I think is the best iron player who can get hot in the greens too. Yeah. So for me, like, when I wrote up Fox originally and I just put why not again and he was gone 13th, 6th, 12th, 1st and 8th with his irons and to your point that 8th came in the PGA Championship field. When I started looking back over the recent years of when he's played in major championships, he kind of misses the cut afterwards and I kind of wonder whether he kind of put himself too much into it. But interesting enough, while you were talking there, I just sort of checked upon that again and I go back to 2015 when he played in the Open Championship and it was a different level but he won the following week on the Challenge Tour then finished 10th on the European Tour, then finished third again. So he actually continued form really well in 2015. And, you know, that was the last time he won twice in a year. And he's probably playing like he's going to do that again. And and really and truly, that 54th place finish last week is probably about as bad as he could have got, I think. Yeah, I mean, to be – I mean, look at the other guys who finished near him in strokes he had approach. Uh, and I mean, he was positive off the tee, you know, I mean, so Reed was the next below him and Reed was really bad off the tee. Reed finished 34th. 
Um, Siwoo Kim finished 60th, and he was really bad off the team. He was below him in approach. You go down, literally, I mean, you'd have to go all the way down. No golfer under a stroke per round was as bad as the way Fox Fox finished. So, yeah, I definitely yeah. agree with that. And I, th- I think also, like, what did she shot three rounds level par for the first three days and then shot a 77? And I think, you know, he'll, he, we talk about people kicking themselves. Like, he was like 11th. Well, we, you know, like one shot behind the top 10. So whatever that was, there's was plenty of them tied there. So probably like 20th place. But, you know, he was five off the actual winning score in the end. Like maybe he just pushed too hard on the final day. Or maybe he knew there was an opportunity there and, and just tried too hard. And that kind of thing can happen because, you know, seven over doesn't really, on the final day, doesn't really tell the whole story of what he did all week. For sure. For sure. Those are my favorite opportunities to jump on. When you can rule out 18 holes of somebody and it's like, okay, yeah. this is... They should have been here. Yep. So I, I, I haven't because I've gone with this person, but he was close. Uh, so Rasmus Hoygaard, I thought top eight in approach and tee to green at the Belfry. Um, he was fourth after 54 holes there and slipped down to 16th. And he was fourth after 36 holes at the ISPS Hander as well in Spain, um, but just fell away completely the weekend. But I just think that kind of came off that spell where he was playing well in America. He'd finished 18th at the Valero where he was also second off day one, 13th after day two, um, and then shot a kind of final round 68 to bolt himself back up into the top 20 after he'd fallen out of it. And, you know, it looks like his game is pretty much where it needs to be, barring, you know, a, a few kind of bad holes or one bad round. So I think at kind of 33 to one or, you know, whatever price it is that you can get on Rasmus Hogarth now, that's what he was when I was kind of looking at him. Like, I think that's a pretty good odds on, on someone that we know can win, um, that there's definitely question marks about people in this kind of area, the best in, despite the fact that, you know, we've spoken about Fox and Burnt there, you know, I don't have the questions I have about Burnt Wiesberger that I do, that I have about Wiesberger with Rasmus Hoygaard. So, you know, even like Moronk, we've, we've seen him kind of chuck it away a couple of times. Peters, we know what Peters can and can't do. Uh, very good record in this event. But um, yeah, I, I thought Rasmus was probably the most solid of the summer. Yep. I think you rule if you want to play that that game where you rule out the top guys. I mean, he's a clear, clear one to go with. And the odds are a little bit longer than what you'd anticipate. Uh, yeah. Irons firing, like you mentioned, uh, definitely uh, can be interested there. And, and when we kind of go in these selections, I think we find ourselves naturally maybe progressing a little bit deeper. Um, it's not deeper. I mean, we, we each normally would go one favorite here, maybe one mid-range play, and we'll back it up a little bit. Um, so I think the next guy on the board would be your pick, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Manzo, so, 50 to 1. I, I actually thought you might come with Richard Manzo, and I think I was disappointed because when he – what he did at the British Masters, he kind of – we thought he was going to kick on from that, right? And we thought that this could be the chance for him to really go and contend. He played really well that week. Um and he kind of did what he does. Like he was full fast 36 holes and then just fell away at the weekend. And that was a little bit of concern. Uh, but he was sixth in approach that week, 16th tee to green. He's now been 30 of 26th, 8th and 23rd his last four events. And then when you look at the fact that he was sixth here last year and third after 54 holes, uh, he's been top 10 in tee, uh, top 10 in tee to green and top 16 in approach over the past two months in this field as well. Um, I just felt like Richard Mansell probably was worth going for once again because it does feel like it can happen. I still think there's a little bit of element of unknown of whether he can play well in contention. So 
because he's not quite getting there. Like he's almost shooting himself out of it in round three or round two. And, you know, we haven't, we're not getting the opportunity to see if he can cope. So a um, little bit of an unknown and, and I quite like that still. Yeah, I think there's enough in the odds to, to rerun that, you know, and go yeah. back to the well with him. And I think he's just one that's hard to nail and one that when he does it, he can he can do it big. And, and I'm excited for him. And I think the flashes have been consistent enough uh, he, to definitely go back. He's on that price where you just, you don't love it. Like, I, I, yeah. don't, I don't love the value of it, to be honest. It's right on the border. Of the, it was the kind of how well he played here last year that kind of took me over the edge because... I've tried not to put too much stock in course form of late, especially when it's just one year, but with him, I think that's quite valuable. Yep, 100%. And I think um, the one for me, and I guess the one for both of us, right, I think you were on this golfer together, um, is the one that I would argue would be still a little bit of the unknown in trying to figure out what is the upside for Yannick Paul. Yeah. And, you know, he has shown that in back-to-back weeks. I mean, the second place, the suit all open, you know, 16th at the Betford British Masters after he kind of had fallen off the map for a little bit. You know, he was 10th then at the ISPS um, two weeks before that. So we're looking at three top 20s in his last four events. And what I loved is I always kind of portrayed him early on as somebody who was really, really long off the tee, was built around power. But I think it's his irons that are his, you know, specialty, especially the last couple of weeks. We see him very, very strong last time out. Uh, his brother actually is firing on all cylinders at the Corn yeah. Ferry Tour as well. Uh, Jeremy yeah. Paul's looking like a PGA Tour car. Um, so, um, but I think both of them, I mean, this, this is a lot of fun for what Yannick, and there's still enough guessing in that price. I was pretty surprised to be able, I think in the States, he was as long still as, yeah, 80 to 1. Um, I like that a lot for Yannick Paul. Yeah, so for me, one of the factors you mentioned there was, was how his brother Jeremy's playing. Like, he is flying on the Corn Ferry Tour right now, 5th, 16th, and 7th his last three events. Um, you know, he's had a 26th on the year as well. And I I just wonder if that's, like, a factor. Like, is it, are they aching each other on? Does he know that Jeremy's going to get it on the PGA Tour via Corn Ferry and he will have to get there via playing really good stuff on DP World Tour, maybe winning and get himself an invite on the PGA Tour. Because you know how these things work out, right? Like Alex Fitzpatrick is going to get invites because of Matt Fitzpatrick. And, you know, if Jeremy Paul gets to the PGA Tour, then Yannick Paul will get some invites as well. But I think Yannick would like to do it his own way. And he's just playing so well, like over the last sort of what, four events, 10th, 52nd, 16th, 2nd. Um, he's been fifth and fourth last two starts in the strokes game, tees green, his fourth approach as well. So... I thought he was really solid. Like he was bogey free on the Sunday in the Sadao Open. And I think he'd be disappointed he didn't birdie one of those last two holes. Like he started the day two back, finished two back, and both those holes were birdie opportunities. But um, I, I think the fact that he went bogey free when he was in contention is pretty impressive. Yep. Yep. Absolutely agree. Um, and we're in alignment on a lot, Tom. I think um, as we go into this next golfer here, it's a golfer we are. Um, awaiting the the big breakthrough and i think we've been licking our chops for the moment we couldn't wait could we (laughs) literally we could not wait and i had to inform both you and brad that we might have licked them a little early because our guy sean crocker you know he he finishes top 10 last time out right he ended up finishing top 10 first points he's accumulated for the european tour this year DP World Tour, you know, that is 
looking at somebody who was easily inside the number last year is fighting for his tour card right now. And at this very moment, we're, we're talking on you know Monday, May 23rd, U.S. final qualifying is going on. And that's the first time uh, the state's one's happening right now. Dallas, Texas, arguably one of the most uh, difficult ones that you could play in. Uh, and our boy, Sean Crocker, seven under after the first round, second right now. He finished, he was like five under through 12. Then he had a bogey. And I was like, okay, don't fall off the rails, kid. He comes out four more or three more birdies in a row. Like he is rocking it right now. Um, hopefully he can get one of those spots into the U.S. Open. He'll do that. He will then cash for us 125 to one ticket this next week. And then we can bet him at the U.S. Open with all our wins. What do you think? Is this like the new Guido? Is it, um, is it, is, is, you know, if he gets those couple of, you know, couple of those wins straight away, like it just feels to me that like we, we were desperate to play him like all season, oh, yeah. right? Like I said to you on the Sadao Open preview, I said, Sean Crocker had one good driving round and one good iron round. And I was like, he's going to play well. But we were like, eh, probably not. And then he finishes top 10. And, you know, I'm glad he didn't win because that would have been really annoying. Um, but then I thought, okay, he's going to be too short this week. Nope, right there still, triple digits. Um, let's play him. Now, admittedly, when I was, I'd, I'd kind of written, you know, like on a draft day when he writes Monte Mac, no matter what, I'd already done that kind of on one of those post-it notes. Um uh, yeah, I just wanted to. I just really wanted to play him. Like he, his irons were just great, and once he's doing that, he was seventh tee to green, eighth in approach. That's all you need to see. Um, he was actually thirty sixth on his KLM debut. It was a different golf course in twenty nineteen, but he was fifteenth after fifty four holes as well. And that's before he was a good golfer, or you know the level he is as well now. So, um, by all accounts, I think Sean Crocker is one of ours that we want to win. Yeah, and I mean, I look at this again. It's here we go. I mean, you have Neesmith, Kitayama, Mackenzie Hughes that are ahead of him, Nick Taylor, Bio Kim, Roger Sloan, Stallings, Hadwin, Harding, Fratelli, Sabatini, Cook. I mean, this is like, a, I mean, uh, uh, our boy Drew Matthews said it's like a glorified alternate like PGA Tour event. And that's kind of what it is. And, and for Crocker to go out here or lights out, that even makes me more confident. Now we got to think about this. So this happened last year. Johannes Veerman won, or actually, you know who won this actually last year? I think Matty Schmidt won this exact qualifier, but Veerman got through. Um, And Veerman, I think, got delayed. They finished on Tuesday. Then he had to wait till Wednesday morning to fly. Again, you know, going America to Europe, you're basically losing 12 hours um, right about. So he got there like Thursday morning, teed off Thursday afternoon and missed the cut. But they can't, Crocker can't afford to skip this event like he's gonna have to play it so unless the flights don't align which dallas big airport he's gonna get there you just gotta pray it finishes today and that he can get there hopefully tuesday night maybe wednesday morning it might even be better if he doesn't see the course man. just show up and play golf you know like that's kind of what he's doing right now at this qualifier yeah i i think um i think he'll be fine it's it's hard isn't it it's, it's really hard to know what's gonna happen i think and uh you just have to, you know, take your chances with it. I think I'm just looking at it. Veerman was sixth in a Dutch Open last year, so it must have been the. But Dutch Open was played in September. Yeah. So what was it? So what was it that he missed? Was it the Himmerland? Um, I'll tell you. I think it was Himmerland. I think that's where yes. he missed the cut. Um, so that that would explain that. So, um, yeah, it, 
I don't know. Does it put me off? No, not really, because I think it's just confirmation that he's playing well, right? Like, I don't I think it's, I love. I, I love it. Yeah, I don't think it's going to change how I feel. I mean, when you told me, I was like, oh, no. And then I was like, hang on a minute, that's probably a good thing. So, um, yeah, I think that's good. Um, I think we also were going to talk about Marcus Armitage. Oh, you're right. I skipped right over one of my guys. Thank you, Thompson. I'm excited about I, Sean Crocker. I, I got really excited <laughs> about Sean Crocker. I couldn't wait to talk about him. I didn't know um, if it was that or you thought I was back in Armitage. I was like, no, definitely not. No, you're right. Uh, I think there's a, just a simple case to Marcus Armitage. I think there's three golfers that are the clear best iron players in the field. Burn, Brian Fox, and Marcus Armitage. And why is he 65 to 1 here? He's, he's been fine all year. He hasn't been great. He hasn't been bad. He shows up some weeks. He is always good with the irons. That is literally my case. It's all that mattered here before. If you can find it with a short game, you know, I think I think maybe a tougher test might set up a little bit better for Armitage. But um, 65 to 1 to bet, you could make an argument for maybe the best iron player in the field is is easy for me. I think I think consistently he's probably the best, isn't he? Like we don't see this from Fox as more as often as we see it from Armitage and we and burnt probably burnt, I suppose, maybe. But I think the upside of Armitage and the consistency probably leads him to to be one of the best iron players. And I think you know I th- I think that he's a better player than maybe he gets credit for, but just because he has those kind of middling finishes and he just needs to break free from that. And I think his price never really moves because they know how strong of an iron player he is. And that's actually a credit to to how good he is, right? Like if, he, if he's still sitting there at 45, 50 to one when he's, you know, not playing that great, then that means that, you know, they know something's coming. So um, I think I think all the things line up for Armitage to be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, to me, when I look at it, I guess you could probably just plug your nose and do the same with Eduardo Molinari. He's probably the yeah, next I did think, one I did that is think like so. that. Yeah. But I just I think we know what Molinari is now. Like yeah. with with Armitage, with Mansell, with Paul, with you know, these guys are even with Ryan Fox, we don't know quite where their career is going. Like it could it could really take off. They could have a burnt Beesberger type, you know, eruption on, on the DP World Tour over three years, right? Molinari had that and has never replicated it. And that's yep. that's the issue. Like he had that kind of comeback win in 2017, I think, when it was at the was that the trophy to Sam, like in Morocco, he won. Um I think it was there. But that's like so the too. last time we've seen him win. And that concerns me a little bit. Like I just think it maybe his winning days are done and top ten finishes are just really good for Eduardo Molinari now. Yep. Yep. Um so before we go into triple digit land, I guess we're already crossing Crocker. Uh, before we get even deeper um, with some selections for it, uh, I will say make sure you are rating, reviewing, subscribing to us um, on audio formats. You should have seen this pitch I gave Tom on vacation. There was a, a, a guy who's lining up. He's playing in the U.S. final open final qualifying. I was like, dude, like we just chatted all day. He plays Mondays. He's out there. So got a podcast listening on monday so shout out ricky um here best of luck in your sectionals um and i was like you know you can find us daily fantasy sports picks and bets the mix right here mayo media network rate review subscribe goes a long way um for us as we continue to build this you say it just like that on the beach to him like oh could yeah i'm so excited once you find out somebody's got that same itch tom you know it's like oh man are we best friends (laughs) so um but no so i think um you know overall uh, if you are somebody who's more of an audio listener, you can find us again right there. Uh, rate, review, subscribe goes uh, very long way for us. So let's uh, let's start. I'll go first because I got two remaining here. Um, I'll start with 
Justin Walters. So Justin Walters for me um, is a simple case of flashing with some irons before this event. You saw him finish T3 at the British Masters, Catalonia Championship. He was inside the top 20 with his irons there too. And Walters just has something in him that just like you feel there is, I guess that finish was the best finish we've seen out of him since he finished second in 2020. But Overall, I don't know. There's just enough in Walter's game that I wouldn't be as surprised to see him get in the mix here when it just kind of suits what he does the best. So um, that's really kind of my case for a golfer at 130 to 1 um, who's trending arguably as one of the top 10 guys iron-wise in the field. I was a bit worried. I don't know if you saw it. When he was at the Belfry, he had a bit of an injury, and that was the only thing that put me off Justin Walters. I think it was his ankle or knee maybe. Um He's had, what, three weeks since then? So, yep. you know, I, I think he's probably okay. I think the I, – I looked at him. Like, I thought it was, it was really interesting that when our cards came through this evening that, like, basically everyone we've kind of either agreed on or looked at, which is positive, like, you know, yep. positive reinforcement. So uh, when I messaged Brad earlier about my picks for the podcast, he came back and said that, you know, we were on the same lines as well. So um, you like those weeks and you hope they go well. But um, – yeah, I, I like a lot of what Justin Walters has done. It feels like he's a player that probably should have got a win by now. Uh, and that's one of the knocks you would give against him. Like he plays 30 times a year every year. Um, but it hasn't. And, you know, winning's hard. And what happens when he wins, I don't know. Does he? Is he the type to go on a Richard Bland trip? Probably not. But, like, I don't think you would have said that about Richard Bland two years ago. So I, I think you, we, we give up on golf. I was listening back to my... Um, colonial podcast last year to kind of listen to what i was thinking and i was saying like you know i was i think i was putting the case forward for patrick reed at 22 to 1 and i was like i can't believe scotty Scheffler is shorter than patrick reed because you know he's never done it and patrick reed's on nine times and yes i think Scheffler might win a handful of times but you know it you know he hasn't done it a year later he's kind of like a what four or five time winner and the masters winner so things change so quickly in golf so the people that kind of rule people like justin walters out um, probably not necessary when 130 to one, there's not really much to uh, disagree with. Yep. I mean, that's, yeah, you, you can make any sort of little argument for a guy at this level. It's like, okay, there's enough. Um, and I'm pretty intrigued actually by your next golfer here is there's some life that's been shown without the finishes being reflected. And that's almost, that's why you get the numbers you do, but you can make a compelling argument. So sell us on Paul Waring. Paul Waring is someone that I've wanted to bet for a, about three months and every time <laughs> I go to do it his numbers like off the tee and his irons are dreadful and he can't putt and you think what does he actually do right why do I actually like this guy and it's all because he actually just hits the ball a mile for someone of his age right um not necessarily a massive factor here but I do think it can play into it and he was 10th after 36 holes at the British Masters and that's when I thought oh no like I've missed the boat he was like I think he was like 201 that week as well um, but he shot 80 on the Saturday, didn't really recover on the Sunday, finished 63rd. And then the same thing at the Sadao Open. He was 10th after round one, and then he was 8th again after round three because he shot 67 Thursday, 66 Saturday, um, and then just had you know the two bad rounds. So when I look at it, he's got great distance, can get hot with his irons, could have a better putting week. That's what you're betting on at 200 to 1. Um, and he's finished 11th, 12th, and 16th in the KLM Open in the past on different courses. So does like playing in Holland is is one of those things. I don't know whether you can quite bundle this together. And this is really trying to kind of 
give any sort of reason, but he won in Sweden. Sweden and Holland are not that different, I don't think. Um, I actually Googled whether Holland counts as a Nordic country. No, it doesn't. Uh, there's actually quite some angry posts about that. So don't Google whether Holland's a Nordic or not. It isn't. Um, but yeah, that was kind of my thing that Sweden and Holland, not that much different. Paul Waring's one in Sweden and uh, played one in Holland. What I thought, um, I went and pulled this up. So if you remember the British Masters, um, and there's a few golfers, and I, I think I, I, we could go back and note this because I, I might have mentioned Waring specifically. So he was of the bunch who Delayed. didn't get to finish his round. And then, so this is some scores in the last eight groups, finishing up the third rounds this morning, final seven holes. Waring played those in eight over that morning. Um, and again, that's April 24th. So was that even, that had to have been the, the British Masters, right? Yeah. Yeah. April 24th. So yeah. So, I mean, that kind of gives a reason to what he was kind of dealing with um, at that time. I don't think it was the British Masters. I think I remember tweeting that. Was it not in Spain? Was that not when? Yeah, because he, he missed the cut. I believe he missed the cut. Right. Yeah. So in, that might have been in Spain. when it happened, or or he MDF. So, um, so I, it was just like even life. Yeah, because he only has one missed cut because it was twelfth, and then he went and missed the cut after he opened up there. He was 66, 69, and then he got MDF'd yeah. because of his seventy nine. He shot there. So like, I mean, you could pull up a tour tips and what he was leading in if you pull it up here that week he missed the cut he was in those first two rounds 17th and 10th i believe it says here now eighth and 12th so he was 12th after 36 holes after being 12th there so it's like there is some signs of wearing so i i, I really really like but actually so that, that that's actually made it even better because as soon as i saw a miscut i didn't bother looking i normally look if it's like 47th or 50th yeah. I'll look at what one round might have gone wrong. The fact they missed the cut, I think, okay, but he wasn't good enough. Um, wow. So that's just furthered it. You know, that basically means that he's playing two out of four rounds well every week, and he just needs to play four rounds out of four every week. Yeah. Um, um, I'm I'm absolutely adding Paul Waring, too. I like that a lot, Tom, because I think, yes, he's exactly one of those guys that has done it for 36-ish holes, um, and you're getting a, a great number. So... Um, perfect okay i'll be adding that with you and then um... i'm so intrigued by this by the way because this next one that you're coming up with uh i was on odds checker earlier and i scrolled down to the most bet players on odds checker and this guy's name came up at 2500 to one and i was Ooh, like slash yeah i was like who on earth is doing this and then brad messaged me and i was like oh it's your fault and then yep. you messaged me and i was like oh it's you guys um yep. So, yeah, give us a case for Cohen Kuenar. Oh, man, normally I don't get you to lead the, uh, the pronunciation. You took that one off the table for me. I appreciate you. Yeah, Cohen Kuenar. So if you Google or, or search for him on Twitter. I couldn't spell picture, it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, you got to copy paste it. Uh, first picture. So he played. He always gets an invitation to see that. They invite some of the best Dutch amateurs or even some of the best Dutch golfers who um, aren't in the, the DP World Tour yet. They might be like Cohen here on the Yelps Tour, on the Pro Golf Tour. We've seen a few of these other invitations. There's actually another golfer that I thought was kind of interesting, Rowan or something Cohen. Um, I'll pull it up as we go here. Um, but uh, yeah, Rowan Caron is the other one who has been playing decent. But 
we stick with our guy here at 750 to one, Cohen Kuinar. He's coming off of uh, his first professional golf uh, victory. So two events ago, he was first in the Alp- Alps Tour. He did miss cut the next week. Completely write that off after getting your first win. He went fourth, second, and first. He had a third place not too long ago. He had a fifth place to open up this year. So he's sitting here with five top fives in eight events on the Alps Tour uh, and getting to come to uh, an event, I guess, home country finish. He made the cut here last year um, when he played in this event. He was 15th after the first or inside the top 15 after his wave the first time he played this in 2019. Um, And also, if you look at his amateur career, he did reach 24th in Wagger ranking. So a lot of his other guys that might show a flash here or there, like they – on these smaller tours, maybe like don't have any pedigree before this. If you can partner that with somebody who at least made a run up the Wagger rankings, I think that always at least gives you more solitude knowing there's some upside in there getting 24th without playing golf in the States. Um, I think it's pretty impressive, um, you know, going to college here. So for me, uh, that was enough at 751 to buy both. Yeah. And he's got one of the most hideous pictures on the uh, European tour feed ever. If you just, type his name in on twitter they're showing his hands because a bit like alex norren when he's yes, hit a thousand yep. balls a day and that is revolting uh that we might need to get our uh, producer to put that on one of the odds boards and put that out on a tweet later on in the yes. week uh that is horrendous um I'm gonna say so obviously a hard worker but yeah he wasn't dating anyone that week um, <laughs> that was horrendous but i mean overall i mean it's you, you see, like, I look through his years before his years. I mean, he had played, it's not all that much, five, 12 OWGR sanctioned events uh, in the previous years. So I'm assuming he got through Alps qualifying school, uh, if they even had it existing at the time. Um, so then he comes out there and he's just, you know, literally like the best player on, on that Alps golf yeah. tour, one of, the, one of the top guys there. So you get enough, get a shot like this. You know, you mentioned Crocker. Is that the Guido? You, we know Guido cut his teeth here, man. So uh, maybe it's uh, our sign to to get somebody who, who's got some life. I can't believe he was 2,500 to one this morning. I'm he sure was. Brad got a juicy number. Yeah, well, I think he probably was 2,500 to one until Brad decided to, uh, to dive in. And now it's 500 to one or whatever. But, uh, yeah. you know, we, as we always say, you don't need a lot for these guys right you know you skip a skip a cup of coffee as i like to say and yep. and go and bet on these and you know just hope he has a good week i mean he was like you say he was inside the top 15 at the time where he posted that hideous picture of his hand um and then it all went downhill which is probably why uh because he probably couldn't grip the club so uh yeah interesting uh interesting golfer interesting week i think i think it's really interesting how aligned we are um i'm glad that you've kind of furthered my case for paul wearing probably quite scary that I'm now all in on Paul Waring, but uh, you know, here we are. This is the Dutch Open. Yep. Amen. Now let's, uh, let's review our card for everybody here and we'll close out. Yeah. So Rasmus Hogarth for me, I think, I think the odds board says 25 to one. He was 33 to one, but happy with that. Uh, Richard Mansell at 40 to one, maybe 50 to one. Yannick Paul as big as 80 to one, you know, generally 66 to one. I think Sean Crocker, 125, 130 to one. Paul Waring, I did not look at his name on the odds board, but he was 200 to 1 over here. Uh, I think that's probably similar to what it was on the odds board. 200 to 1 it was. Um, and that's me done. Perfect. Um, so I was just my... about to read out all of yours then, and I was like, that's not my job. <laughs> 
Yep. So for me, Ryan Fox, 25 to one, Marcus Armitage, 65, Yannick Paul, 80, Sean Crocker, US Open Champion, 125 <laughs> to one, Justin Walters, 130, Paul Waring, 200, um, and then Kuinar, um, I guess if you pronounce the whole name, I just saw he was in the big money classic as well as I did some research here. Cohen Kuinar, 750 to one. Let's go out with a winner this week, Tom. Let's, let's get it. some cash. It, feel, it feels like the time. It feels like your road one after last week. I just keep luck, you know, luck bagging all these wins. Um, so, you know, I, I've got this kind of luck thing going on. You've got the kind of despair going on. So hopefully between the two of us, uh, let's say that, you know, Paul Waring wins. Yeah, I'm seeing I'm seeing a Paul Waring, Sean Crocker, exactly. Like if any books are listening to this, throw those odds up there. I'm thinking maybe what what do you want? 3100 to one? That sounds good. We could throw we could throw a couple of coffees on there. I'll have I'll have, I'll have more than one coffee on that one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good luck to everybody this week at the Dutch Open. We'll be talking to you soon.